We have been told that the Word of God is a two-edged sword, right? Rightly uh, dividing this sword, in other words, rightly using it, properly using it as a weapon uh, for the ministry of the gospel. We need to learn how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, let me ask you this. What's, what's, the, what's the benefit of a double-edged or a two-edged sword? <laughs> guess you can't get any better than that. It cuts both ways. It cuts both ways, right? This thing cuts uh, any way you swing it. And so I think we need to understand this is a, quite a weapon. And we need to properly use it. And so we're in a study on how to study the Scriptures, how to interpret the Scriptures properly, and to get the most out of them. That's my heart. I could teach you the science of hermeneutics, but again, my goal is for you to manifest the power of the Word of God. Not just know the how it works, but to work it. And so we've been in a study on on properly keeping Scripture in context of the passage, also historically, culturally, also understanding the principle within it. Now last week, uh, what did we study last week? Anybody remember? Exegesis or isogesis. Thank you, brother. Very good. E-I. E-I-E-I-O. So, exegesis means drawing out of the Scripture the original meaning and intent of the author. Isogesis means that I'm putting my opinion into it, and I'm going to look for something to prove what I came to the Bible with. All right, And that's not what we want. We want to draw out. But tonight our study is going to be on cross-referencing. Now, uh, back in the 70s, there was a great Bible that came out called the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Anybody remember it? You got one there? right? Uh, Great Bible, because it would chain reference. Concept of a chain is it would link from one scripture to the next, to a next, to a next, to the next, and chain referencing. There's great power, and there's great help for you to understand the Word of God when you can reference it through the other scriptures. Let me give you a couple quotes here. One, Martin Luther said this, Scripture is its own best interpreter. Uh, He said expositor, but, but it's the same sense. It's its own best interpreter. When you don't understand a passage, find a cross-reference, another book of the Bible or somewhere else where it's being taught that will help round it out. If it contradicts another passage, then you don't have the right context yet. Classic example is we are saved by faith alone, not by works. Book of Ephesians, right? Paul wrote that. And then you come over to James and he says, faith without works is dead. Now what do I do with that? Is, and you, you hear it all the time that James is in conflict with Paul. Absolutely not. Well, how do we figure that out? We cross-reference to find what's being said. Is James saying that In other words, to be saved, you have to have faith and then do good works so that you can be saved? That's not what he's saying. But Paul is saying it is by faith in Christ and nothing else added that saves you. So what's James getting at? 
All he's saying is, is the faith real or not? Because if it has no manifestation or evidence, then it's not real faith. Right? And the writer of Hebrews would agree with that because he says faith is the what? Oh, I'm sorry. What was that word? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The what? What, what was that? Evidence. Substance and evidence of things not seen. So that agrees with James. So now with that, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You have a chain reference now that brings Paul and James together to have an understanding of what both of them are talking about. James says, look, if your faith has no evidence of anything, it's dead. You say you love Jesus now let's start referencing again. Who's, who's, who talked like that? You say you love God, but you hate your brother. John, the Apostle John, 1 John. Oh, we cross-referenced again. Now what he's saying is evidence. If you say you love God, oh yeah, but that's my faith. Yeah, but the evidence isn't there. No substance there. Do you see what I'm saying? Now what we just did was what? Cross-referenced. Cross-referenced. So in other words, to get better at cross-referencing, what do you need more of? More Scripture in your head. Right? We need more Scripture in our head so that we can rightly divide the Word of God. Now, the Westminster Confession said this, the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So that's what we're going to practice tonight. Let me share with you a few points here. Uh, I want to share with you two aspects of cross-referencing. The first one is foundational referencing. In other words, in the New Testament, we will have direct quotations from the Old Testament. That's a cross-reference. So what we need to do then is go back and read that Old Testament passage to have a good understanding of what the New Testament writer was referring to. Because even within the New Testament, they're cross-referencing. In fact, listen to this. 352 verses of the New Testament are direct quotes from the Old Testament. That's almost 5%. In other words, 1 in 23 verses of the New Testament, they're actually Old Testament quotes. Direct quotes from the Old Testament. That's 1 in 23 verses. 4,105 passages of the New Testament have allusions to or references to the Old Testament. Testament. They're not literal quotes, but they're direct allusions to stories of the Old Testament. And so a reference to the Old Testament, though you may not have a specific quote, scripture, and verse, but Paul will talk about Abraham and Sarah, or he will talk about Rachel and, and so forth. And so those are, again, uh, references, though there may not be a chapter and verse. Uh, 4,105 passages uh, referring to the Old Testament. Therefore, over 10% of the New Testament is made up of Old Testament references. So, I don't know how many of you do this, but going deeper in your understanding of the New Testament, when you're reading it and you come across a passage that is quoting the Old Testament, I would encourage you to go read that Old Testament passage 
back where it came from to get some context for what the New Testament writer is saying. That cross-referencing is weaving a very powerful faith in you, a knowledge of God. And I can tell you what, you will not be easily tossed back and forth by winds of doctrine when you have good ability to cross-reference. Amen? Uh, I run into this all the time as I do studies and I come into passages and, and I'm, I'm confused and there's challenges. Uh, I read a lot of times people who challenge Christianity or challenge Pentecostalism or challenge the move of the Spirit, this and that. And as I read them and I listen to arguments, some arguments are so detailed and so effective and powerful. And I'm going, hmm, okay, wow, yeah. All right, how do I deal with this? And it will literally take me days to chew on it, to consider it. And what begins to happen is, well, wait a minute. Over here, it says this. And and then that sparks something. I'm cross-referencing. And I'm taking the full weight of the whole story, not one tree out of the forest, but coming back and, wait and looking at the full measure of, well, this scripture says this, and that scripture says this, so that means that that one narrow view of this scripture doesn't align with the others. But in its own argument, it seems pretty strong, right? Have you ever, anybody run into this, right? So the more you cross-reference, the more you're going to get the full picture of uh, what the Bible is trying to say. Now, listen to how we said 4,105 passages in total that are referring to the Old Testament and Old Testament passages, but I want you to see how abundant it is. 278 of the 352 direct quotes are taken from different Old Testament citations. It'd be one thing if, if the same verse of the Old Testament from one book was repeated 200 times. That wouldn't have much weight. But this is saying 278 of the 352 quotes are from different scriptures. Now that's really weaving in and out of the Old Testament canon. 94 verses are in the New Testament that are from the first five books of the Pentateuch. 99 verses are from the prophets of the Old Testament that you find in the New Testament. 85 references and quotes from the Old Testament that are from the Psalms and the Proverbs and the poetic books that are in the New Testament. So this isn't just grabbing and cherry-picking one favorite verse or not. The whole New Testament is the extrapolation of the Old Testament's revelation now come to pass. That's the whole point of the New Testament. It is the, the fullness of the law come into being and now showing us what is yet to come as well. There are two times as many uh, texts concerning the second coming of Jesus as there were the first. Did he come in the first? Well, then you know if there's twice as many, he's coming again. Right? All right, so I just wanted to share with you that this whole sense of cross-referencing 
is actually essential to the New Testament. It's the foundation of the New Testament. It didn't just come out of right field. The entire New Testament came out of the Old Testament. And that's why there is so much cross-referencing. There are churches, brothers and sisters, there are believers who will not read the Old Testament. That's the law. I don't need it anymore. Really? It's the whole foundation of what we believe. And so you need to understand the cross-referencing because you're standing in the fulfillment of it and how rich and powerful it is if you'll begin to comprehend those things. Yeah, but I don't understand that stuff. Those prophets, I can't even pronounce their names. Well, learn them. All right, let's try some examples here, folks. Let's try some examples. Isn't it funny how we don't know the, the, the Old Testament prophets' names, but you know Gilbo, Bilbo Baggins, and you know every reference to Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and uh, Circle uh, Dudes. Who's the ring? That is Lord of the Rings, and all these other guys. We know so many figures from TV. You could give me movie stars' names, baseball names and statistics, football names and teams, but you can't tell me an Old Testament prophet? Something's wrong. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. Would you agree? Okay. All right. So we, we, we need to spend a little bit more time uh, just studying these stats instead of the stats of millionaires. Still can't believe this, that our entire population is duped into spending all our time watching millionaires play games. What is wrong with us? Can't wait to get home because millionaire people driving cars that I'll never see or own and have houses, they have more money than they know what to do with, are going to go throw a ball around on a court. That's our entertainment. Let's watch all these rich people play. You didn't think of them as that. Do you know how much money we pay these people? To entertain us. Something sick, really, really sick and broken. All right, I'll, I'll move on. All right, let's, let's try this now, uh, just for fun here, some activity. What I want is, is uh, the difference between a direct quote and a, an allusion, allusion or a reference to an Old Testament. L- let me give you a perfect example of that. Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, Matthew says this. this uh, he's talking about Jesus healing people. And he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. Now, anybody know what chapter he's quoting from Isaiah? Isaiah 53. I'll give you a little blank there. Write it in. Isaiah 53. What specific verse? I got a 4 and a 14. I got a 5 over here. Do I get six? Can I see six? Six. <laughs> I don't know how those guys talk that fast. What do we got here? What's the reference? Four? Four? Scott, you got a five. He's holding to the five. Well, I want the exact reference. He took our illness and bore our disease. Isaiah 53. All right. Surely he bore in our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
Okay, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and was just, and by his stripes were healed. So that's where I see where Scott's got that reference to healing. Now let's ask a question here. I'm reading the Old Testament passage. It sounds a little different than how Matthew is quoting it. Would you agree? Okay. Now there's discussion in which text that the these first century writers had that they were using the Masoretic text, uh, the Old Testament written in Greek, Septuagint, right? the Septuagint version that they had. Now, they're quoting the Scripture from the copy of Scripture that they have, which we have worded a little different. The meaning is still the same. All right? But they have a Greek... Well, are, that's the question. Are they using the actual Hebrew or is our translation from the Greek Septuagint to the Old Testament passage? And I think that's where there's just a little difference. It is nothing that changes the meaning of the passage, is it? He's using this passage, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, if you will, to say that this is the Messiah who carries our sicknesses and our diseases, and by them we're healed. Right? All right. Now, someone had a hand up. Yes, Judy. But where? That particular quote? We're looking at a very specific quote. Matthew made one sentence quote. And he's quoting a very specific verse. That's what we're getting at. Not an idea. But he said, this proves what the prophet Isaiah said. And he gives us a direct quote from Isaiah. So that would be Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Okay? But you're right, Judy, in the sense that we can find it throughout Isaiah 53, but not the exact quote. That's the difference between a reference now. If he said the way Isaiah, uh, Isaiah tells us that Jesus, the Messiah, will heal, and he doesn't give us a quote, but just says a statement, we could find it throughout Isaiah. And for example, let's take a look at this. Now, here's Matthew 27, 45, 46. Now, this is not a specific, it is a quote, but he doesn't give us where it is. Now from the sixth hour darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour, and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now there's no reference to the Old Testament here, is there? How is this a reference to the Old Testament? Is it a direct quote? I would say it's a direct quote. But Jesus didn't, from the cross, say, and now I quote Psalm 22. <laughs> he didn't, did he? So what happens to people who don't know how to cross-reference, and they read that? I mean, how long did it take you to learn that that was actually a psalm he was quoting? I just thought he said something. What will happen, what I encourage you to do, read through the Gospels and read through the Psalms. What you're going to find out half the time, read through Deuteronomy and Psalms, and half the time you're going to find out most of what Jesus said was not original. 
What was he quoting? The Old Testament. And, and it cracks me up too because there are people who want to refute Jesus and they say, well, you know, you guys think he's so great and everything. He didn't say much original. Other people had said it too. That's the point. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm speaking God's words. I'm the fulfillment. Everything that was spoken, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Psalms, Isaiah, everything. He's speaking it because he is it. Now, how many of you know in the Psalms that, that back in the time of Jesus and before that, they didn't have the Psalms numbered? They referred to a Psalm based on the first verse of that Psalm. So if I wanted to share a Psalm with you and I said, you know, this reminds me of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Where would you go to? 23rd Psalm. And my saying the first line would bring forth to remembrance the entire Psalm. And I would want you to know the depth and meaning of that Psalm just by me declaring the first statement. So by Jesus making the declaration, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What was he invoking? The entire Psalm of Psalm what? 22. So this is why it's good to cross-reference. You read this, you realize, oh my gosh, this is a psalm. So go to that psalm and read it. And then go back to the cross and consider what is going on. It will blow your mind. And the depth of understanding will increase when you see all of what's taking place. He was prophesying. And declaring everything in that psalm being manifest in their presence. The reader in 21st century doesn't get it unless they begin to cross-reference and put it together. Okay? Yes. All right, let's go on. Now, let me share with you secondary references. What I mean by that is not direct references to uh, a particular verse or idea from another scripture. These are scriptures that confirm the truth of the passage you're reading. For example, this is cross-referencing scriptures that are like the scripture you're reading. They validate or confirm what you're reading, but they're not a direct reference all right? The first ones were direct references and references to the stories of the Old Testament. This is a parallel, or if you will, parallel ideas that confirm it. Let me give you some examples. If I said this, John 1, 3, all things were made through him, that's Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. What is that verse telling us? That who made everything? Jesus. Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was nothing that was made that was not made apart from Him. Who? Jesus. This verse tells us Jesus is the agent of creation. The Father willed it, the Word created it. All right? And so Jesus, the Word, created everything. Now, can we support that concept? With any other passages in Scripture? Colossians. 
Any further? Any closer to coming in on that? Colossians 1, verse 16. Robert, you look it up and tell us. How about another one? Anybody else? Hebrews 1, 3. Read it to us, David. Oh, you'll find it. Okay. Anyone else? You started at three, right? Read two. Okay. Hebrews 1, 2 is very specific to the being the creator. And Robert, you said uh, Colossians 1, 16? Okay, so we've got Colossians 1, 16, Hebrew 1, 2. Mike? Read it. Okay, all things exist through Him. All right, any other reference? Yes. What's that? Yeah, yeah, that's there, John 1, 3. All right, hold on, Diane. Read it. Okay, all things created by Him, Jesus. Ephesians 3 9. Well, okay. The, uh, Proverbs 3, did you say? Oh, Proverbs 8, right? Wisdom is the creator of all things. Now, that's not a direct reference to Jesus, but we understand who it is as creator of all things. Proverbs 8, wisdom was there. Yeah, you said Hebrews. Okay, someone would say, but that's talking about Jehovah. It's not a direct reference to Jesus. Uh, I'm just being, you know, very accurate. But we know in context what it's speaking of. Well, I think it is, yes. But I'm just saying someone, there's no reference to the name of Jesus in that verse. So uh, uh, a Jew or, or someone else could come and say, that says Lord, that's talking about God in general reference. Yes? Great question. How do we know them? Let me answer that question um, there's a couple ways to, to know them, okay? There are great tools that you can use for cross-referencing, okay? Um, 
There's a book that's been out for many, many years called Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. The, the, the Treasury of, uh, is that it? Cross-reference treasure, treasury? Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Basically, it is volumes of every verse cross-referenced throughout. For me personally, it's like, forget it. <laughs> Because, I mean, it cross-references the and, uh, every word cross-referenced with 13 different things. It's like, this, isn't, this is too much. Yeah, I can't follow. I'm lost. Uh, but some folks use it really well. There's other tools, concordances, and there's other teachings and books. There's great uh, Bibles that in the margins of your Bibles will have a little A or a B or a M-N-O and a reference down below. It will always, most of your Bibles will always directly quote, if there's a direct quote, it will give you the, the place in the Old Testament it quoted. But cross-referencing is going to depend on the Bible you get. And uh, your Bible will help you cross-reference. So again, from, I'm not... I don't have any stock in it, but the Thompson Chain cross-reference Bible is so simple and easy and direct, but many of them have the cross-referencing now, and I'd encourage you to use those. Um, I'm just going to give you my opinion, okay? Uh, I like cross-referencing in Scripture. I like when it has that. I'm not a fan of commentary in Bibles. That's a personal opinion, but my problem with commentary Bibles are you're reading scripture then you're reading some guy's commentary and in your mind his commentary is going to equal scripture and and that's a problem for me sure Okay, And uh, so what we have to do when we have issues like that, because we have so many multitude of translations, is that we have to follow through and do our research. May I encourage you with this, though, that our, the translations we have are not going to cause you to go astray into a false religion or uh, misalign yourself with Christ. So I don't want to cause an alarm here where everybody's going to think, you know, I have to have one particular translation that's going to do it. Uh, these are nuances that need to be understood. But let's go back to the question about cross-referencing. It's good to have tools. How many tools for Scripture did the people in the first century have? 
None. And they did quite well. Here's a tool here, and there's the greatest tool of all, the Holy Spirit. We have got to put ourselves into the work of Scripture memorization. Study, study, study. You should study. At some time, you should decide to study the Trinity and know how to prove the Trinity. Know the verses that back up there are three persons in the Godhead, each of them having divine attributes. What are divine attributes? Know where to find the Scriptures that locate divine attributes. That sounds like work. Absolutely. This is life and death, people. Finds references to the deity of Jesus Christ. Right now, I don't know the percentage. I was going to say half. But right now, hell and the doctrine of hell is disappearing quickly from Christian doctrine. Can you prove through Scripture and cross-references there is a hell? Then, good for you. (laughs) If you can't, study it. Begin to study it. And so that you understand having an argument woven together, you can have a couple scriptures that you've studied to know that there is hell and eternal punishment and damnation. And not everybody is saved. So these are issues. Greg. Right. In the, like, the newer versions, some of them cut 37 or Acts 8 right out. Okay. Um, what I would say with that is that, first of all, we have to find out why it's being done or what's being said for that reason. We should know that if it's cut out, what was cut out, why. In other words, what was said, what's said. And if that's the issue then we should know that. As a Bible student, you should get a version that you fully understand and understand the reasoning as to why. Was that legitimately in the early uh, uh, manuscripts or was that added by a scribe? Here's the bottom line. There are enough other cross-referencing scriptures that can prove the point apart from that. So we've got two problems here. One is a translation problem uh, with, our, with our translations we're using, and you need to come to a, a, a decision as to what translation you're going to use that you feel best represents the original scriptures. And second, 
secondly, the issue of the discussion of, is it by salvation alone? There's enough Scripture to use besides that one reference that can prove you can be saved apart from baptism. So do you see the two issues at hand here? All right, now, let's go on. We have, and we've discussed, secondary references of Jesus. Let's do another one, okay? I want to do this so that you're feeling the weight of cross-referencing, the importance of cross-referencing. Mark 16, 18. Uh, In fact, you can do this with any topic. I mentioned hell. I could give you a verse on hell, and I would want you to cross-reference it. Here I just picked up this one, Mark 16, 18. They'll pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, should we believe that... This is a great verse for discussion. Um, I waited till this time because in this chest, I have rattlesnakes. Just kidding. Uh, Should we practice picking up rattlesnakes? And is there scripture that we can cross-reference for us to pick up rattlesnakes to prove our faith? It's not a parable, is it? Good point. Let's start with that, though. Let's cross-reference any, uh, anything that would cross-reference with picking up deadly things and not being hurt. Is there any cross-reference to that? Did that really happen? I see Cindy back there. Luke 10, 19, what's, what's there? Sure. Very good. That would definitely be a cross-reference to that, wouldn't it? But let me ask you a question. In the context of that verse, is he talking about literal scorpions and snakes? Why do you say that? Yes, he is. Why do you say that? So it literally did happen. Acts 28.3 is a reference to your story, David, that it actually happened, serpents bit, and they didn't die. Now, let's go back. We're we're talking about this whole thing, because this is what happens when you study, right? Your mind's going like, wait a minute. So let's work it out. Uh, I think that's a great reference that Cindy has. Now, I asked, is that literal? And some of you said no. What about deadly poison? Not, not trying to mess you up, but I mean, you had a good, th- you th- good thing going there. But it does say deadly poison. Oh, uh, what do you say? Spiritual. 
okay. She's saying both, and it's interesting, uh, Cindy, are you still there? There you are. Uh, <laughs> what's the very last statement of the verse you read? Luke? No, we're in Luke 10. And nothing shall hurt you. Oops. Okay. So when it says nothing, is that only spiritual? Okay, so, so the, I mean, the last part, you could certainly understand. You can tread on serpents, tread on scorpions, this and that. We got, okay, that's totally spiritual. We're going to destroy Satan. We're going to cast out demons. Got that. But then it also throws in deadly poisons, and it says, and nothing. That brings it into the both realms, doesn't it? Okay, what'd you just do? There we go. That's Come on. That's what I'm talking about. And this is what we have to do. We have to wrestle with these things, folks. And so what we're coming to is a verse that, that is wrestled over all the time. Because, you know, we as Pentecostals say, we like the talking in tongues and the laying on the hands of the sick of this and that. But this whole deadly poison snake thing going on. But we do have a verse that specifically backs it up in Acts and in Luke, but is it only spiritual? Can we spiritualize it? Well, really not, because the context gives both natural and spiritual. So, but what governs that then? Why not have snakes to prove our faith and all that? And you cross-referenced from the whole picture of the Bible that we're not to tempt the Lord our God with foolish activities. There are Christians that live in that... Okay. But there's Christians who live in that same climate and culture too with deadly things. Do any of them as Christians ever get bit by snakes and die? Yes, they do. All right, so let's go further with this. There are many Christians who have died by scorpion bites and snake bites. Would you agree? Okay. So this scripture doesn't apply at all? So how do we qualify it? How do we work with this? What's that? Did they, did they actually I would imagine over 2,000 years, someone would have claimed that thing, right? And still died. Yeah. All right, but let, let, let's test the condition. All right, so it's been 2,000 years since Jesus. Have there been Christians who truly are strong believing Christians who are confessing Christians that have died by uh, poisonous snakes, poisonous drinks, uh, and uh, other things? So does that make these scriptures null and void? Why not? You're confusing me. Okay, so in other words, this may not be an all-encompassing thing, 
but something that is determined by... Ah, the will of God's involved here. Maybe, right? Yeah. What is that called? Iso Jesus. <laughs> okay. Am I, or am I trying to find the reality of that scripture? I understand what you're saying, but if I say, you have to come up with a conclusion. Then, if it means, if you're saying this, no, I okay. But I mean, if you're saying this means literal, this is it, that anybody that believes in Jesus should never die by a snake bite or a scorpion bite or a deadly thing, right? That's what you're saying. This, no, nothing added. No one should die from that. So we have to ask the question, if they did, now we have to come to a conclusion. And what many would say is they didn't have enough faith or they weren't true believers. So you have to come to a conclusion, Right? You were going to say something, Heather. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Sure. Absolutely, you could have faith in Jesus and yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would agree that that is a very truth statement that you can have faith in Jesus but not know. The, the healing virtue that is available to us. But I come back to you and say this. I know many believers who fully understood the faith promises of God's healing and so forth, and the disease took them out. Did they? So what do you do with that? Judy. All right, I want to sum this up now, and I want to show you something of what we do. When we read Mark 16, it is a declaration prophetically of the signs that follow the church believers. Did they, according to Scripture, did they lay hands on the sick and people recover? Did they pick up deadly things and not die? Yes. Yes. So is it a true statement? Absolutely. Is it a promise that it's going to take place in every believer's life continually? 
See, so we have to understand these things. Should we believe for healing? Yes. But we still have to understand God has His way. Could I ask you, how many of the apostles died? How many Christians that have served the Lord Jesus Christ have been killed, suffered, and beaten? Okay, so we've got a problem. American Christians have a real problem. God doesn't have a problem with death. We do. Something's going to thank you. (laughs) Something's going to take us out. It's true. Do you remember what it says in Revelation in overcoming Satan? Right. They love not their lives even unto death. Now you'd say, well, that's only persecution. Well, you know what? There's a lot of deadly things here. And uh, uh, I have seen people miraculously healed in, in crazy situations. And I have seen saints of God who are on fire die. What I would think too soon. What do you do with that stuff? You have to then take these studies and scriptures and comprehends what is saying. Now, if someone says Mark 16 is not true because it never happened, I can defiantly and determinedly say, you are absolutely wrong. I can prove it to you. It has happened. Happened here in Acts 28. It happened here. It happened here. And it happened today with this person. And I can give you a testimony of a man in Ghana that I just read last week that was bit by a snake and did not die because he's preaching the gospel, this and that. So it's still happening. So... What we love to do is we love to either cut it out or make it all. And we've got to find the balance of the full scriptural understanding, right? Is it 840? Oh my gosh. I was ready to break into small groups. I am so sorry that your kids are like, where's mommy at? All right. You enjoying yourselves? We've got to close. Exactly right. She said this, it's a good example what I just shared because what we do is we take it and say it has to happen for everybody. It's it, all the time. And we have to remember it's God's kingdom. He will do what he, what he wills. And uh, always for the furtherance of the gospel. We typically want all these pr- pr- promises for ourselves. They're for the kingdom and the purposes of the kingdom. So let's uh, continue. We'll continue next week. I'm sorry. I was enjoying this. This This is fun. All right. Let's close.